0: I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you uh, today the subject of my sermon the title of my sermon is the church that tried to kill jesus uh, luke chapter 4 luke chapter 4 hopefully your heart said lord please don't let it be us <laughs> luke chapter 4 is a considerable number of verses i'm gonna read here verses 14 through 30 luke cool. chapter 4 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners And recovery of sight for the blind To set the oppressed free To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this pro- proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he he continued, no prophet is accepted in his own town. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine in the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All of the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way.
1: Hmm.
0: Lord Jesus, open our ears to hear. Give us hearts to believe and minds to understand, I pray in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 4 is incredibly important passage of Scripture for those of us who consider ourselves Charismatic Christians Charismatic Christians are those who believe in the ongoing validity and activity of the power of the Holy Spirit today Just yeah. like the stuff that he did in the Bible. He can do today if you're yeah. if you believe that you're a charismatic Yeah, <laughs> if he healed people then he can heal people now if He opened blind eyes then he can open blind eyes now and this is such a foundational passage for Quote-unquote charismatic Christians because this is where Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit in the Jordan I know the word anointed. It's a $50 technical theological biblical piece of Christianese Uh, It just means uh, the word anoint literally means to smear So in the Old Testament, if you anointed something you smeared it with oil Yeah, and when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, it's like God the Father took the Holy Spirit and just smeared it all over him Yeah, that's that's what it means that he was anointed. It means he was covered with The Holy Spirit. Yeah, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. His entire being was overwhelmed and covered by the Holy Spirit in the Jordan River.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, actually what happened was a chapter earlier in Luke chapter 3. He's baptized in the Jordan River by John. Yeah, and when he comes up out of the water, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. Yeah. And then the voice of the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately we get to chapter four, verse one, he's driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So as soon as God puts the spirit on him and identifies him as his beloved son, immediately he goes into a time of testing. If, if you have walked with God for any length of time, you understand what that's like. Yeah. As soon as something good happens, as soon as God speaks a good word, there seems to be a time of testing that follows it. Yeah. And so he goes into the wilderness And he fasts for 40 days and during that 40 days of fasting he's tempted by the devil but because he stands the test there's so much in these passages i'm tempted to preach 10 sermons today (laughs) he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit that is the holy if you're a believer in jesus the holy spirit resides within you upon you around you all the time but you don't experience his power until you come out of a test wow and so he comes out of the test because he passes the test he comes out in the power of the Spirit. So when you experience temptation, you need to think differently about it.
1: Yeah. God is
0: qualifying me for a greater realm of his power. i got to stand the test because on the other side of this test is a new expression of God's power yeah. upon my life. Yeah. And so he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So in the Jordan River, he receives the presence of the Spirit. But after he comes out of the wilderness, now there's the power of the Spirit. And then it says that he goes through all the regions of Galilee. He goes into all of these little towns all over Galilee. And he, he, what does he do? He goes into their synagogues and he teaches and he heals the sick and he raises the dead and he cleanses the lepers. And now you've got to understand in, in Galilee, in that region, there are about 240 Jewish towns. And the biggest ones of those towns had about 1,500 people. And the smallest ones of those towns had about 150 to 200 people. So these were little towns. But the whole region there was somewhere around 300,000, 200,000 to 300,000 people. And it said that his fame spread throughout that entire region. So this whole countryside, it was about the size in terms of of, uh, its population of Oakland. And so he's popular. He's known. Everybody's excited. Jesus is coming to our little village. He's just going to little village to little village, little town to little town, little village to little village, little town to little town. And then after a while, he makes his way to Galilee. I mean, he makes his way to Nazareth, his hometown where he grew up. Nazareth. I'm going to go home. I'm going to check on the folks there. And it says that when he got to Nazareth, he went straight to the synagogue on the Sabbath, which was his custom. It was his custom to go to the synagogue every Sabbath. Every Sabbath. The synagogue, the word synagogue in the Greek, synagoge, it literally means assembly. And it was basically, it's a Greek word, but it's a translation of the, of the Hebrew term kahal, which means assembly. what it, What assembly means to us is different than what it meant to them. You see, when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and now they're in the wilderness and they're journeying towards the mountain, God commanded Moses, call an assembly, a kahal. You tell everybody to assemble before me. And by the way, if anybody skips the assembly, cut them off. (laughs) And so Moses sent word throughout all of Israel. He says, I'm calling an assembly, a kahal. And they became the assembly of the Lord when they came to the assembly, to the kahal. Well, in in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word kahal is translated sunagoge, or synagogue. And so, synagogues that you see in the New Testament were Greek-speaking places of Hebrew worship. And in order to have a synagogue, an assembly of the Lord, wherever you were scattered throughout the world, you needed ten Jewish men. If you had ten Jewish men, you had a synagogue. And what they would do is they would read from the law in the morning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets in the, in the evening, the rest of the, the Bible. So they gathered at the synagogue twice a day. But on the, on the Sabbath day, that was the most important gathering at the synagogue. And that's where there would be teaching, not just reading, but teaching. And the question was, who taught? Well, any able-bodied Jewish man had gone through seminary, basically. Matter of fact, they were more educated than we come out of. Se- the average Hebrew man at that time had more education than the average seminarian today, who comes out of seminary with a master's degree in Bible and theology. They'd memorized more of the Bible than any of us have. They knew the history. They knew that they knew it all. And so, any one of them was qualified to teach. And so, all if you wanted to teach that day, you simply stood up. And ask for a particular scroll they would bring you the scroll you'd read from it and then you would sit down and you begin to teach however this was a highly flawed system yeah Judaism in the first century was broken into four different sets four different denominations if you will the problem with all four of those denominations is that they all thought that the others were wrong (laughs) we're the only ones so if you were a first century Jew you had one priority Catch the Messiah. And everything you did was about catching the Messiah. We want to posture ourselves so that when the Messiah comes, he comes to us. And so if you were a Pharisee, you believed that the way to catch the Messiah was through legalistic righteousness. You had to follow the law to the letter. Secondly, the Pharisees, by the way, were charismatics. They believed in the resurrection and they believed in miracles, signs, and wonders. And so the Pharisees, the way their synagogues were set up, it was set up around legalistic righteousness about making sure that you don't sin in any way, shape, or form. And so the whole teaching was about making sure that you're not breaking the law in any way, shape, or form. That's all you heard when you went to the synagogue. But then there were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were more liberal, more like the Democrats. The Pharisees were more like the Republicans.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the ongoing validity of miracles. But they did believe in living a moral life huh. and being socially conscious. Mm-hmm. But then there were the zealots.
1: Yeah.
0: The zealots were a third group, and they were political activists. Ooh. And they were political extremists. Yeah. They believed in making political change by any means necessary. They would actually commit violence and assassinations and and all kinds of stuff because of their zeal for the Lord. And then there were the Essenes. And the Essenes were a group of people that believed in separation. Holiness was their thing. Holiness was about separation. And so the Essenes, you never saw them because they moved out into the desert into a completely separate community. And they had this whole elaborate system of bathing at different times throughout the day. I mean, literally, if you pass gas, you had to go outside the camp and bathe yourself thoroughly. I would take seven, eight baths a day. I mean, just just to be honest, to keep it real. But that's how how they lived. It was like every, every form of abomination had to be removed from God's sight. You wore white, and you went through these bathings, and you lived separate. And the Pharisees believed when the Messiah comes, he's coming to us. Yeah. And the Sadducees believe when the Messiah comes, he's coming to us. And the Zealots believe when the Messiah comes, he's coming to us. And the Essenes believe when the Messiah comes, he's coming to us. And guess what the Messiah did? He went to all of their synagogues.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: As messed up as they were. Yeah. He still yeah. went. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: As was his custom.
1: Wow.
0: His habit, meaning the flawedness of the church did not prevent him from coming to the church.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: The fact that it was full of hypocrites, if anybody could use that as an excuse, it was him.
1: Come on. Wow.
0: If anybody could say, I'm not going to that church, too many hypocrites at that church. Yeah. Jesus was the only person who could ever say that.
1: Yeah. yeah. But yet he didn't. Wow.
0: His custom was to come. Wow. As flawed as they were. Yeah. And what he was saying is, You're trying to catch the Messiah? Here he is. Huh? You're trying to catch the Messiah? Here he is. Yeah. Here he is. Here he is. Here he is. But what he found time and time again is that these religious organizations that were set up with the stated goal of catching the Messiah didn't know when they had him, Yeah. rejected the Messiah that they were trying to catch
1: yeah.
0: again and again and again. It's like having a fishing pole that every time you catch a fish, you take it off and throw it back and say, I'm trying to catch fish. And Jesus says, I'm here. And he's going to synagogue after synagogue after synagogue after synagogue. And finally he goes to Nazareth.
1: Yeah.
0: His hometown. His own people. The people he grew up with. Nazareth was one of the smallest of all of the towns in Galilee. Nazareth, some historians put it at about 150 to 200 people in that town. Nazareth was about the size of our church. Yeah. Like, if you look around, this is Nazareth. When Jesus went into the synagogue, the assembly.
1: Yeah.
0: By the way, there's a second word that translates the Hebrew kahal in the Old Testament, the Greek translation. And it's the word ekklesia. Jesus says in Matthew 18, upon this rock, I will build my ekklesia, my assembly. Yeah. Meaning at the heart of Jesus' definition of what the church is, it's a coming together. Yeah. An assembly yeah but he comes to this assembly in Nazareth and the whole town is there and they're excited and what's not apparent is that they're excited to receive Jesus for all the wrong reasons yeah. but that's not apparent all you see is the joy on faces that Jesus is here you know the little boy who used to follow Joseph around Remember Joseph used to say hammer, and Jesus would run and get that little hammer and put it in his daddy's hand? You remember little Jesus? You know, little baby Jesus, little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus?
1: <laughs>
0: you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so he comes into the synagogue, and he stands up. And they got excited. They're about to hear from Jesus. Let's see. We, we done heard so much about him. We heard he's done grown all up. Let's he done grow it up. Let's hear what he has to say. Let's let's listen. And he, he asked for the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he opens it up and he reads from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then he closes the scroll and hands it to the attendant. And they're so proud of him. And then he sits on the chair. They're like, oh, he's gonna teach too? He done really growed up now. And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Translation, that passage that I just read from the prophet Isaiah, that was about me. And the people just right over their heads. Then Jesus says this. He says, oh, and it says, he starts to teach. It doesn't say what he says at that time. Sorry, I had a brain fart. And, uh. I gotta go go bathe now and he's <laughs> in, outside the camp um it says they marveled at the gracious words that came from his mouth so now first he reads the text and then he speaks these gracious words and the people are like man that boy is articulate <laughs> that boy got talent he do went to school got his master's degree he came back educated the boy can talk do you hear this boy speaking This man can talk, and they're marveling at the gracious words that come from his mouth. Now, it seems like Jesus should be nice to them, right? (laughs) They're being nice to him. They're speaking well of him, which means to praise him. So he comes to the church at Nazareth. They happily receive him. They marvel at the gracious words that come from his mouth, and they all speak well of them. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of his sermon, Jesus flips the script and offends them all on purpose. Surely you will say this proverb to me, "Physician, heal yourself. And you will say the stuff we heard you doing in Capernaum and these other places do here in your hometown as well. But I say to you that no prophet has honor in his own hometown. And now I say to you, that there were many widows in the time of Elijah the prophet, but he wasn't sent to any of them except to the widow in Zarephath and Sidon. And there were many lepers in the time of Elisha, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So I want you to understand how offensive that line of reasoning was. First of all, he says, surely you will say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And then you're also going to say, the miracles we heard you doing in the other towns, do them here too in your own hometown. Notice that what Jesus was discerning was not the present state or posture of their hearts, but the trajectory of their hearts.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: When you interact with Jesus, He's not simply responding to how you are right now, He sees where you're headed. Yeah. Remember we said last Sunday that there are some believers who are close to Jesus, but pointed away from him and slowly becoming unbelievers and others who are far away, but are pointing towards him and slowly becoming believers. He's always looking at the trajectory of your heart and he's speaking to them out of his knowledge. He says, I see where your heart is going. Let me tell you what you're getting ready to say next. First of all, down the line you're going to tell me position heal yourself. When did they say position heal yourself? When he was on the cross.
1: Yeah. Could
0: not this man who saved others save himself? Yeah. Could this not man who could this man who raised the dead and opened blind eyes can't he come down from this cross? He says, "You're going to be in that crowd." Ooh. Taunting me. Cuz you don't get me. And secondly, what you're getting ready to say now in this meeting is the miracles you did in other towns, do them here too. In other words, he hadn't worked any miracles in Nazareth yet. Yeah. But they were all excited. Here comes the good stuff. Is he going to heal some blind eyes? The difference is the posture of the hearts of the people in the other town was let's go see what God's going to do. But the posture of the heart's in Nazareth was, let's see if this Jesus is who he's cracked up to be. It was a test of Jesus. They weren't coming to him in faith, understanding that God was testing their hearts. They came to test him. And when your heart is set on testing the Lord, well, let's see if you're as good as they say you are. Hmm. They told me you have healing power. I'll see about that.
1: Wow.
0: Heal my mom. Heal my dad, heal me, heal my child. If you're such a healer, let's see it. That putting God to the test. He saw the trajectory of their heart was leaning towards testing him rather than recognizing that he was there to test them. Make no mistake, when Jesus comes to your church, he's not coming for you to test him. He's coming to test you. He's not coming to prove to you that he's worthy. He's coming to make you worthy. I'm going to let that sink in just for a second. And then he says, here's the most offensive part of all. What's their whole apparatus about? Catching the Messiah. Their whole apparatus was designed to catch the Messiah. And now the Messiah is here. And what does he say? I say to you that there were many widows in the time of Elijah, but he was sent to none of them except a foreigner over in Zarephath of Sidon. And I say to you that there were many lepers in the time of Elisha, but he was, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Translation, you can't catch me. I came oh. for outsiders, not insiders. Mercy. And the reason you can't catch me is because you don't have the heart that these outsiders have. Wow. Translation. I come to the synagogues not because I find myself here, that you guys have done everything right and that's why I can come because I haven't come to congratulate you on being the right group or having the right theology or having the right practice or having the right spiritual experience. I haven't come to congratulate you. Congratulations, you've caught the Messiah. No, you don't catch me, I catch you. Wow,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's why he ended up spending so much of his time with prostitutes and sinners because they didn't come to him for congratulation
1: wow.
0: they came to him with brokenness of heart yeah. Lord have mercy upon me a sinner yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: the whole point of the synagogue was when the Messiah comes he's going to commend us He's going to decide between us. You guys were right. You Pharisees, you were right. Those Sadducees were wrong. No, you guys were right. You Sadducees were right. Those Pharisees were wrong. No, you Essenes were right. No, you Zealots were right. Notice he doesn't commend any of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And when the Lord comes, he's not going to commend any
1: of us. Wow.
0: You Republicans were right. You Democrats were right.
1: Yeah.
0: It's not about our politics. None of it impresses God at all. He's not even looking at that. He doesn't care about that. Those are our concerns, not his. Yeah. What he's looking for is, will I find the broken heart and a broken heart and a contrite spirit he has yet to deny. Yeah. And if yeah. he finds it among the Republicans, he honors that. And if he finds it among the Democrats, he honors that. And if he finds it in Antifa, he honors that. And if he finds it in BLM, he honors that. If he yeah. finds it among Trump supporters, he honors that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 The whole point of his message at the end Was y'all are not It <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Y'all ain't special wow. It's not about y'all You all are waiting For me to commend you And I have no commendation for you Because the one thing you're missing Is a broken heart and a contrite spirit
1: yeah.
0: You've come in a spirit of self-righteousness. The Messiah is going to reward us because we're
1: right. Yeah.
0: Now I got some more prostitutes and sinners to hang out with. And how do they respond? He'd have lost his mind. <laughs> I used to change his diapers, and now he's going to come up in here talking that nonsense with us? Oh, heck no. And it says they rose up. And they thrust him out. They pushed him out. I mean, I want you to get this picture. This church jumps up on their feet as one. And they rush the platform and they grab jesus and they push him out the door and they're pushing him and they're pushing him and they're pushing him they thrust jesus out of the church
1: yeah
0: and then it says they led him to the hill upon which the city was founded they led him to the hill so first they're pushing jesus and then they're leading jesus shouldn't he be leading them
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah
0: Remember we said it's just about a walk with Jesus? Do you know what a walk with Jesus is? Is when he leads you. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: You know what the problem was? They were trying to drive him towards the fulfillment of their own agenda. Wow, I see. They were trying to drive him towards their personal agendas, and when they could not drive him into their agenda, they drove him out. Wow. At the end of the day, Jesus will either lead you or you're going to have to drive him out.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: And then they led him to the place where they were going to kill him. They led him to the cliff to throw him off the cliff. And watch what happens when he gets there. Verse 30 says, He walked through the midst of them. They get to the edge of the cliff, and just as they're about to throw him off the cliff, yeah. Jesus just walks through the midst of them
1: <laughs> and
0: yeah. departs.
1: Yeah.
0: I gonna mean, imagine, get him, you got him, yeah, I got him, get him, you got him, yeah, I got him, let's throw him off the cliff, one, two, where'd he go?
1: Yeah. Did I thought you had
0: him, no, I thought you had him. He just walked right through the midst of them. Did he blind them? Did he become invisible? I don't know, but all I know is that at the end of the day, he simply walked right through the midst. Why? It wasn't his time. Yeah. Last week, we talked about Jesus walking over your Yeah. Last week, we talked about stuff that Jesus causes you to walk over. Today, we're talking about stuff that Jesus causes you to walk through.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: You see, there's some stuff that Jesus says, we're gonna walk over this. It's not gonna to touch you, it's not gonna harm you. No weapon forged against you will prosper. You're not gonna to have to deal with this. The battle's not yours, it's the Lord. You're not gonna fight this battle. You're just gonna stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And Jesus takes you by the hand and says, We're gonna walk right over this. Yeah, yeah. But other stuff, Jesus says, No. You're gonna walk through this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: This is going to rise up against you and it's going to thrust you out and it's going to lead you to the base of the hill and just at the moment where it looks like it's going to take your life, we're going to walk right through the yeah. midst of
1: this. Yeah. Amen, amen. And the question
0: is, if Jesus had the power to just walk out, why did he let that go on for so long? Yeah. Hmm. I mean... They rose up, which means they probably hurled some insults at him. At that moment, I would have been like, you know, it's obvious that y'all ain't ready for this. I'll see you later. (laughs) (laughs) I got another church to preach at anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You know? But he he sits there while they hurl the insults. And then they get up and rush the platform. I'm like, like, y'all ain't got no security at this church? (laughs) I would have definitely had a talk with the pastor. You just gonna let them rush me like that? (laughs) Then they grab him and thrust him out of the church. At that point, I would have been like, all right, it's time for me to get up out of here.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And then they lead him all the way to the hill. He waits to the very last second before they throw him off the cliff to decide... Okay, that's enough. And then he walks through the midst of them and departs. Let me tell you why I believe he did that. We had a a young man in our congregation several years ago who had sinned greatly, grossly, in a sexual manner. It was not a normal situation. The Lord revealed it. And when the Lord revealed it, we immediately inaugurated a process of trying to restore him and bring him to repentance. And that process went on for about five months. During that time, there were people who were telling me, you need to just cast him out. You need to just cast him out. And I resisted that. At the end of that five month process, I discovered that the young man had continued to lie and persist in his sin. It was obvious that he was completely non repentant to the core, to the bone. And the Lord spoke to me and said, It's time. It's time to send him away. You entrust him to me now. And I not only released him from this congregation, but I did the biblical thing and I called the church together. And I revealed to the church what had happened, but then I instructed the church, he's under the discipline of the house now, which means none of you can talk to him anymore. Defriend him on Facebook, block him on Twitter, delete his number from your phone. You will all have nothing to do with him. And I'll tell you why, because if you become a church to him outside of the church, you are circumventing the discipline of the church. You're taking it upon yourself to circumvent the discipline of the house and the discipline of the house will not have the effect it's supposed to have. The discipline of the house is supposed to bring him to such a place of brokenness and repentance that eventually he comes back and actually repents. And then we can actually restore him to the house. It's still redemptive. And I remember a young person came to me and said, what you did to him was wrong. And I said to that young person. For the entire five months that I tried to restore him, you continued to tell me that I need to drive him out. Now you understand why I wanted to give him every opportunity to come to repentance because that is a last resort. Never in a million years did I want to do that. I wanted to give the Lord the time, all the time that he needed to bring this young man's heart to repentance. I wanted to find another way or another way or another way because the last thing I want to do is that. Thankfully, we've only had to do that to one person in the history of this church in 18 years. Coming up in January is 18 years. But you know what? The moment I did that, it broke my heart so deeply, I went and sat in my car and I cried. And I cried and I cried, and you know what? To this day, I still cry when I think about that young man because I never wanted to cast it out. I wanted him to repent. Yeah. Jesus was giving the Nazareans. Every opportunity to recognize the error of their ways. So if you need to yell at me, yell at me. If you need to cuss at me, cuss at me. If you need to drive me out, drive me out. He waited to the very last second because he wanted them to have every opportunity to wake up and say, wait a minute, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: He was giving them time. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a personal application of this for you. Because God often puts you in situations in which you have to suffer for an extended period of time. And there's a part of you that says, God, why are you allowing this? You put me in this situation. And now they're rising up against me. Why are you allowing this? You put me here, and now they're cursing at me, now they're driving me out, now they're leading me away, and now they're about to cast me down any time now, God. Why don't you cause me to walk through the midst of them sooner?
1: Yeah.
0: But you don't realize... Is that wherever God puts you, you are grace in that situation.
1: Yeah.
0: Wherever God puts you, you are opportunity in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever God puts you, you are an opportunity for repentance. You are an opportunity for opening of ears and opening of eyes and opening of hearts. And sometimes God puts me in a place where, yes, I'm going to be mistreated and I might even be abused. But God is saying, if you could just suffer for a little while longer with your Lord. If you can see my heart for these people that I put you here with
1: yeah
0: I don't want to cast them away I want to give them a little more time yeah. you don't know what happens when you walk away remember what Jesus told the disciples that if they throw you out of the city wipe the dust off your feet and then walk away? But notice that the disciples did that only when they were utterly cast out and yeah. beaten and, and left for dead. They didn't do it be, They didn't do that lightly, yeah, sparingly, yeah, because yeah. they knew that that meant there was judgment coming against that city, and that's not what we want. Well,
1: wow.
0: it's not the heart of the Lord.
1: Yeah.
0: Sometimes the Lord says, "Don't worry. You're going to walk right through the midst of this. It's not going to harm you."
1: Yeah. It's no. not gonna
0: throw you off the cliff, it's not your time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It wasn't time for the cross yet. Yeah. And some of you are in that place right now. That walking with Jesus has led you into a place where you're being abused. Don't get me wrong. There are exceptions to this. Yeah. There's also a place where you're being abused and God is saying, get out.
1: Yep, yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. It doesn't mean that you have to tolerate abuse. Yeah. If you're in a place where somebody's hitting you or somebody's beating you or, you know, you need to get out. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a different story.
1: Good.
0: Some of us are in a place right now where you're experiencing an undue amount of opposition. And we're simply not aware of the fact that you are grace. Wow. In wow. that situation. Yes. You are the grace of God.
1: Wow,
0: Lord, help me to manifest your grace mm. in every setting in which you put me. Mm. Help me to be a manifestation mm. of your grace. Of your kindness. Mm. Yes. Of your compassion. Of your unwillingness that any should perish. Mm. But that all should come to repentance. But here's the beautiful thing. He let them take them, take him right to the edge, but he didn't let them throw him over. Yeah. Cancer took you right to the edge, but he couldn't throw you over. Yeah. Three testimonies of that sitting right here in this section right here. Three testimonies of that. Yeah. walked he walked in and he walked out Would you never find Jesus doing is running for his life <laughs> I would have
1: <laughs> to get up out of here <laughs>
0: he just walks that's all Jesus does is he walks I walked in and I'm gonna walk out why? you don't have power over me. You can't take my life I have to lay it down I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again (laughs) that's the command I received from my father I fear in moments where it seems like something has the power to take my life But when I'm walking with Jesus if I walk close enough I'll hear him say nothing has the power to take your life
1: yeah.
0: I'm asking you to trust me with it. Yeah. I'm asking you to surrender it to my hand. When it's time, don't worry. I'm gonna walk you right out of this thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's gonna walk you right out, Elizabeth. He's gonna walk you right out of yep. here. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Amen. He's already measured it. He knows where that line is. He's not gonna let you th- let it, let it throw you off the cliff.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Bow your heads and let's pray. Reuben, if you could just come back and just play how great is our God. Holy Spirit, we invite you. I feel your presence so strong right now. I invite you to come to minister. To all of the hearts of each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours, we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastor in San Francisco. Holy Spirit, I just sense that you're ministering. You're ministering to hearts. You're communicating courage, encouragement, and strength. Lord, we're walking with you. And when walking with you leads us into a place where we're rejected, we can endure it. We trust you to walk us right out. Lord, there's some stuff that we get to walk over, but there's other stuff that we got to walk through. And right now, the Lord is giving grace for the stuff that you got to walk through. The stuff that you would rather walk over, but you get to walk through. He's giving grace for that right now. Grace for that right now. Some of you are disillusioned, disappointed because you're in stuff right now that you thought you'd get to walk over. But you got to walk through. Holy Spirit, I pray that you heal that disappointment. I pray that you would reveal the truth that we're walking with Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you lead me. I'll follow
1: you. I'll
0: go into any synagogue with you. Any place. Wherever you lead me. I'll follow you. And when you do lead me out, I'm going to trust you all the way out. I'll trust you all the way in and all the way out. No fear.